0: Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm.
1: Building a modern Rosie the Robot with Tim Enwall of Mr. Robotics on today's Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Home Show. This is your host, Mike Wolf. Today's guest is Tim Enwall. That's a name you probably recognize if you're a long, long time Smart Home Show listener. If you have gone into the deep cuts of the Smart Home Show archive, you recognize that name because Tim is the former CEO of a company called Revolve. And for those Smart Home insiders who've been at it for a few years, you know that Revolve is one of these uh, well-known companies in the modern Smart Home era mainly for its Revolve hub, which had, what, six to seven air interfaces on it, a company that was acquired by Nest. And so Tim went to Nest, and after that, he actually ended up as the CEO of Misty Robotics. Misty is a wholly-owned subsidiary of Sphero. If you don't know about Sphero, you probably have at least heard of or seen an article about those little rolling balls that are essentially Bluetooth-controlled robots. My son has two of them. And so really, this company that was, was probably the leading toy-oriented robot company over the past couple of years has decided to start a, a company that would well, will create essentially what is Rosie the robot. And this is something that they clearly stated that they want to do. And so Tim and I talk about what this fully functioning modern home consumer robot will look like. Some of you may remember the 2016 Christmas show. The end of last year, we did our predictions for this year. With Richard from Home On, the folks from Home Tech FM. And one of my predictions was robotics would become a really interesting category in terms of the smart home. And so it's been an area I've really been focusing on. And I think the rival of companies like Misty are a testament to that. I think people are finally realizing or thinking about how home robotics can be integrated with the broader home, how maybe it is time for home robotics, you know, moving beyond just simply toys and single function devices like vacuums. And so that's what we explore. I hope you enjoy this podcast. As I record this, I'm just a couple days before heading off to Japan. We're having the Smart Kitchen Summit Tokyo, Smart Kitchen Summit Japan next Thursday. Follow me on Twitter to kind of keep updated on that or, or go to the spoon.tech to, to see some posts from Japan. There's actually a, a crepe robot that I'm actually going to hopefully check out while I'm there as, as well as some other cool stuff. Again, tune into the spoon.tech. Check me out on Twitter at Michael Wolf. For those of you who want to go to the Smart Summit in October, it's just less than two months away, I can't believe it. Use the discount code PODCAST at SmartKinchesSummit.com and get 25% off tickets. All right, folks, that's it for now. Let's talk to Tim. Well, I'm really excited to have Tim Enwall, the CEO of Misty Robotics on the podcast today. How you doing, Tim? Great. I believe this is the second time you've been on the show. I've talked to you before as the CEO of a previous company. I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with
0: a company called Revolve.
1: Welcome to robotics, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the personal robot we're building, uh, actually, let me back up, and uh, uh, CEO of Misty Robotics, as you said. Yep. Um, Misty is a spin-out from Sphero. Yeah. Uh, Sphero is the maker of the Premier Connected Play products, uh, Sphero and the BB-8 robot. Uh, we got $11.5 million of financing from two awesome venture firms, Venrock and Foundry. Yep. Uh, and the personal robot has been in development for 18 months at Sphero core team is one that's been there, done that. And, and this is really the first baby step towards making Rosie from the Jetsons a reality. Uh, and you know, there are a lot of definitions of robot. Um, for me, the, the autonomous nature, right. A, an entity that can move around autonomously, uh, is a pretty important and relevant factor for robots. You know, I mean, there were There were people who would talk about the Nest thermostat being a robot, and and that was a little bit of a stretch for me. Uh, so definitely a definitely some correlation between Revolve and Smart Home and service, certainly Jarvis. You know, the the vision of Jarvis. Yep. Um, and the vision of of Rosie from the Jetsons.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly there's there's automation, there's, there's intelligence built into things like the Nest. There's learning to a degree, but I agree with you, an autonomous robot is a completely different. Ball game. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll go and we'll, we'll explore. I want to talk a little bit about the revolve days and what happened there, but with, with the robots, let's get into that. You know, I, when I look at the robot market today, and by the way, I'm a, a fan of Spiro. We have a couple of them, uh, rolling around here periodically. My son has been a fan of those. And I, I think they've really kind of been the most successful home robot company outside of maybe Roomba but they were very focused on a very single function and they sold to consumers on a, a value proposition of play. Um, Roomba sell to uh, consumers on a value proposition of cleaning, very single function. But what it sounds like where you're going with this is multifunction uh, maybe, and you, you allude to Rosie. So you're talking maybe a little more of a humanoid. So is that kind of the direction you guys are going?
0: Broadly? Yes. Um, you know, it, it's it's going to take us a long time to get to, you know, Rosie or C3PO or or any of those sort of more humanoid uh, robots. But but in general, a, a personal robot. Uh, and Ian, uh, founder of Sphero, founder of of Misty. Uh, he, Ian did a speech a month and a half ago where he outlined four critical elements for a personal robot. I add a fifth. You know, those elements were first. Uh, it's it's got to be familiar. Um, you know, it can't be freaky. It can't be scary. It can't put us off. Uh, and, and frankly, a lot of the humanoid robots of today are, are a little bit too freaky. Um, we will get there. Uh, but, you know, but today they're just they're too off putting um, first. Second, um, it's Second, it's got to be able to develop a relationship with us. It can't be just this mechanized piece of metal that runs around the house or the office. Um, that's just not going to be valuable enough. It's not going to be interesting enough to us third uh it's got to be multifunction it's got to be multi purpose uh it 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 has got to be able to uh you know we can't we can't go buy 20 single purpose robots for our house and and or our office um and then lastly um it it has to it has to be useful right it's got to do useful things for us at the house or or at the office um and then i would add a fifth, fifth which is it has to be able to manipulate things. Um, you know, our first generation products aren't going to be able to manipulate things. Um, because that's a really hard, expensive problem to solve at the sort of affordable, uh, consumer end of personal robots. Um, but those are really what, you know, the five core elements of, of a robot.
1: I think those are great. And I want to, I want to kind of dive into those a little bit because I think it's important. And there's some, I think philosophical debates that could be had. I mean, when you got, talk about this idea of multifunction. I think it, this goes back this is a discussion we've been having in the computer industry for I think the last 4 decades. I think since you know the people I, I forgot who wrote the book, the information appliance, but this idea of you know the single function device that does something really well um, versus something like a multi-function device more of the Swiss Army approach um, you know when we look at something like uh, a, a, can- a pancake bot you know it makes it makes great pancakes it does it really well uh, when you look at something like a vacuum cleaner that does it really well. And those things are going to do the same real well. Maybe they're going to be more affordable and they're probably going to vacuum ever better than you'd ever see like a personal robot do if that's multifunction. So I guess the spectrum between single function to multifunction, you definitely on the side of multifunction, you don't think there's a compromise there in terms of like doing, uh, you know, everything like, uh, doing a lot of things, but not doing them very well.
0: I, I think today those contrasts are very stark. No. Uh, but I think as as multifunction robots become more and more capable and more and more advanced, that those contrasts will become less and less stark. uh you know I mean, if you go back to the personal computer, you had pong and you had you know king uh you know Pac-Man in the arcade, those were single purpose computers and, and they did well and they served a purpose yep um and it turns out multi multifunction computers. You know, just blew the doors off of, of anything single purpose computing. I think I agree with you in the long term.
1: And I think what you're getting at is it's going to take a little while to get there. I think what I find fascinating is you guys have been working on this for 18 months. You say that it'll be a long time before we get there. So, but it sounds like you have a product that you're, you're productizing something in the nearer term. Are you taking the approach where it's going to be somewhat limited functionality, but over the long term, your strategy is to get to multifunction, doing lots of things?
0: Um, I think what I'm saying, it's a lot more related to how technologies are adopted by humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, and, and this goes back a century, right? That the way that humanity adopts technology is is you start with a group called the innovators. And, and that, by the way, that's before early adopters, right? Everybody, everybody sort of likes to talk about the early adopter and, and they, they forget that there's actually with, with brand new technologies like automobiles after horses or, uh, or personal computers or AR, VR. They forget that there's this cohort at the very, very beginning that is essentially, you know, co-creating, right? They're, they're, they're inventors, they're innovators who take these, Capabilities and, and they explode the different directions that these capabilities can go, right? I mean, going back to personal computers, there was no such thing as an app for two or three years, right? Um, so, so I, what I'm saying is that technology adoption curve for personal robots is, you know, it looks like the adoption curve for cars and telephones and personal computers and, you know, other really major uh, technological disruptions. You so know, we've never, we've never had an independently mobile seeing, hearing, speaking entity before.
1: So what you're saying is where you see personal robotics in terms, particularly around multifunction, it's in the homebrew computer club phase. It's what I think more, more recently have been called the maker phase uh, of adoption where, where you're talking about co-creation. Um, and yeah. that, that's where you see it. Uh, but even in, at that phase, it's these guys are toying around with it, but these are, these are things that are like lab experiments at this point. Um, but what I'm fascinated with is you do have a product that you said you've been working on for 18 months. Do you have any idea when the, that I expect will be out in the next year or two? Maybe, maybe you can't talk to that, but what I'm wondering is this, this product, first product you come out with, isn't going to be this full vision of like uh, the Rosie, the robot yet. It sounds like you're going to have some steps towards that.
0: So we've been, clear on a couple of things. First, we aren't making a product announcement, um, but second, we will be in market in 2018 with a product. And, and this first generation product will have elements of all the four requirements that Ian outlined. It won't have manipulation, but it will, uh, it will look familiar. It will be multifunctional. It will be um, useful uh, and do useful things. Uh, and it will, uh, it will build a relationship with us.
1: And it's targeted towards the maker crowd, the the folks who want to co-create with you. So it sounds like it might be also a little bit open for development.
0: Um, it, it's target, I don't want to again get into the products. Sure, sure, sure. It's it's targeted at inventors and, you know, call it a maker, call it a hacker, an inventor, an innovator. Um, yeah.
1: And the social side, I think is interesting. Um, you know, there certainly have been, you know, Pepper, and there's been robots out from Sony. You know, they, they seem like they're, they're more kind of proof of concepts a little bit. Um, some of them have been productized, but there have been robots that have been social. And more recently, this, this wave of social robots that we saw at CES. Are you, when you think of social, are these things that look in at least at a very rough way, like something that looks like a human eyes, uh, a head,
0: arms in order to develop a, a relationship with, with us as humans? you know, it, it has to have some of those kinds of capabilities that we associate with relationship. I mean, if you look at a Roomba, um it, it lacks a number of things that would enable us to start anthropomorphizing it or or interact with it at some sort of relationship level. We certainly know from Alexa that lots of people are starting to anthropomorphize just the voice elements, right? Um so again I'm not I'm not gonna introduce your sure, product, sure. but uh but in order to develop a relationship with, with its, its host, uh, you know, the robot has to have a number of components that facilitate that.
1: And it sounds like more than just physical form factor that would make it familiar. I think I was probably That's actually right. talking more about being familiar, but when you talk about social, it sounds like something building the relationship with, like you alluded to, Alexa, where people talk to it. They feel like they may be, they're having a conversation at some point. So there's some level of conversational computing happening.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a requirement for, for relationship to happen.
1: I mean, is it going to be hard over the long term to convince people to, to buy robots? How do you kind of get there? Is it a pricing issue? It's, is it functionality? Talk about what do you, have you thought about how do you get this to become mass market over time?
0: Sure. Uh, it, it, it goes back to this conversation of the technology adoption curve. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, and we're going to go through the inventor stage. Then we're going to get to the early adopter stage. Uh, and, and in the early adopter stage, you know, that's where the amount of functionality, the amount of usefulness is really important to that group, plus, uh, you know, the amount of polish, if you will. Um, you, you know, if you look at personal computers, the there was a, a group that was okay with the blue screen of death, uh, and, and then there was a group that wasn't. Uh, so, you know, after that transition. So I think it really does relate to how much functionality is is presented to the average early adopter, yep. uh, and, and that functionality is going to be, you know, safety oriented. It's going to be entertainment oriented. It's going to be, uh, you know, usefulness, uh, you know, task oriented. Uh, all those all those different uses, just in the home, and then in the office, right? You've got, you know, you've got greeting people. You've got telepresence. You've got delivery of small items. You've got, you know, nighttime security patrol. Uh, you've got all kinds of stuff that are possible in the office.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think, interesting. You, you're talking about different use cases in the consumer space. I think, you know, when you look at smart home, the way it's gone, uh, is a lot of these devices have been packaged in a guise of, of presenting a layer of security. And that's really, you know, you know, the way I think the, the MSOs have done it, um, I think now you know you've seen folks think about things like elder care and aging in place use cases as a way to bring a technology in. Absolutely, I think those apply also to robotics, right? I mean, uh, I think there's you know, like you, you mentioned, security is actually an aging in place robotics company called Intuition Robotics. So, are, are you? It sounds like you're doing a general purpose robotics, but maybe targeting specific use cases to meet people in the, where they have needs.
0: Um What what I'm saying is that that there are yeah, yes, we're going to do that and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think that the, a lot of the inventors out there are also really interested in solving a lot of these problems and delivering a lot of these uses.
1: Let's talk about integration of a robot with the home. I mean, one of the predictions I made, uh, at the beginning, end of last year, beginning of this year, uh, I did a podcast with, uh, on my show as well as some folks from Home Tech FM and we talked about predictions for the year. I was the one who, who was predicting robotics would be interesting this year. I do think. When you talk about integration of robotics with the home, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, when I talk to folks from uh, places like iRobot, they're very much thinking about that. You coming from this world of, of smart home, how do you think these things mesh together? Does it,
0: is the extension of the smart home eventually robotics? Yes, yes and no. Um, you know, what, what personal robots really add to the equation is independent mobility and sight. Uh, you know, Alexa already has voice and speech. Um, you know, smart home devices themselves are part of, you know, the home systems. So, you know, so personal robots are going to be able to do things in the home with the home uh, when you're not around. Right. It's it's an independent being that's there, um, that's able to interact with those systems, understand those systems, manipulate those systems. Um, so I think it, it will be another addition to how are our homes smarter and smarter.
1: And are the robots communicating with the smart home systems? I think it makes sense. If you sure, have a, if you have a home full of sensors, why wouldn't those information things be sharing, be sharing information with the robot? Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about smart home. Uh, you came out of revolve. Um, and so let's talk about that a little bit. Our listeners are familiar with revolve. I think a lot of our listeners actually had the revolve hub. And if I, if I were to kind of characterize what I thought of it, it was a little bit early to market. Um, but it was a really great product um how would you characterize revolve and you know ultimately having to sell to nest what happened there
0: i i mean i think you nailed the nailed it on the head um our customers loved the product um and and it was a little bit too early to market in the sense that you know it was completely functional but at a price point of 299 and you know and that was a challenge firstly and secondly um the, the number of customers that had three or four different devices in the home, there, there, just weren't a whole lot of those. Yeah. Um, and we were, you know, we were making great progress. Um, but here's, here's really what happened, you know, with Revolve and, and the transition to Nest. Um, Google bought Nest and, and, uh, Apple announces HomeKit, you know, three or four months after that. And Samsung buys our leading, you know, competitor smart, smart things, things. Yep. you know they were number 1 we were number 2 uh wink was now just on the market and and so you know you knew you were going to have to compete with tens of millions of dollars of capital uh and you know we had lined up the the right amount of capital for an environment prior to apple and samsung upping the game uh and and so it just you know that was going on and then simultaneously You've got Nest that's now part of Google. Uh, Nest is, is clearly expanding and expanding its repertoire. And, you know, and all the, the essence of Revolve aside from the, the seven radio hub was the platform that knew how to characterize and integrate and work with dozens of different products in different, dozens of different categories. So, you know, that was the the premise and the promise of, of incorporating into Nest was to really accelerate that uh, the simplicity with which a lot of products could interact with each other.
1: Yeah. It was a, uh, you guys launched in an era where it was, it was early. Uh, it was exciting. You guys had a seven radio hub, which is really differentiated. There's nothing like it on the market. But so then you went into nest. And I you had a couple roles rules there. What did you do there? And what did you think of working for nest?
0: Um Well, the first thing I did was, was just help find, you know, new business opportunities and new business domains. Uh, and so, you know, we worked on, helping works with Nest Partners uh, get into, uh, you know, our website and, and to uh, get into our channels um, and then uh, into the hospitality and, and apartment market uh, to try to penetrate the the more professional multi-unit kind of environment with, with thermostats. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, uh, I was head of strategy there just helping the company look at its portfolio and its and its future and and map the map the course of the future um, nest is nest is a fantastic place i mean um you know tony and matt uh, you know they're brilliant they're they're incredible product designers uh they are inspirational the level of talent at nest is incredible uh and and it's you know it's really a it's really a singular place to work i learned so much uh and and the 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 work that they put into creating beautiful products is is just it's inspiring it's stunning uh, and it's something that you know I'll never forget is is how good they are doing that.
1: To me, Nest was interesting because they were within the confines of Google, but Google is one of those companies which has this co-creation type of environment where they'll they'll actually pit they actually foster internal competition so eventually you had google home coming out of another division they had it's a really interesting space i think to work probably
0: absolutely and and we you know uh, we got there just as alphabet was forming uh and and so you know nest was sort of purchased with it in with alphabet in mind so lots of independence and you know and frankly the the culture of Nest is very different than the culture I observed, and, and I didn't have very much observation. But the culture I observed from Google.
1: With Smart Home, you know, since you guys evolved, like we've talked about, it, it kind of entered a new era. And then uh, Amazon came out with Alexa, which I think has been become kind of the the go to interface. I think voice has really become uh, kind of a game changer. Talk a little bit about that. What you've observed as as things like Alexa come out, how has that changed the Smart Home space?
0: I agree with you, Michael. I mean, when I first got my Alexa and I, you know, like you, I was probably, you know, one of the first 100, 200 to get it. Uh, I immediately thought it was a game changer. I definitely think it is the way to interact with, with your smart home. Um, unfortunately, I still think the smart home industry suffers from the same thing it has for a long, long time, which is, which is the lack of standards and interoperability above the radio layer. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, it would be fantastic and phenomenal if there was just one radio layer as well. But, you know, but we can live with putting a Zigbee and a Z-Wave and a couple of the radios in a in a box. Um, you know, we can do that. It's not too expensive. It's really all the standardization above that. And, and what's really just disappointing is that, is that there's just nobody driving that industry standardization.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, they, you know, you've had some efforts around the software kind of stack layer, whether it be all join and those, those seem to have not really taken hold. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have any, you know, integration from the service provider. So Vivint is trying to create, present like a, you know, a very unified service model. Uh, but there is, you live within the Vivint world. What's interesting to me about like something like Alexa is actually kind of act, a universal interface. If they, everyone integrates with Alexa through their APIs, there's some level of that, but you're right. It's not quite as seamless as it should be. It's not, it's not quite as, Connected as everything should be above that radio layer.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean that firstly, that's right. And then secondly, you still in today's world have to put like two or three or four Zigbee hubs in and two or three or four yep. Z Wave hubs in that go with whichever manufacturer's products you're you're dealing with, right? Um, so and, and, and that's and that's more a function of the lack of this sort of middleware standard than it is the radio standards.
1: Hey Tim, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today.
0: Mike, it was great to be on the podcast with you today.
1: Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you learned a little bit about what the future of home robotics may look like. Also enjoyed getting a catch-up from Tim on what he's been doing since those Revolve days and how the smart home and robotics may actually interface at some point. I think that's an interesting conversation. All right, folks, that's it. I'm heading off to Japan. We'll be back late August. As always, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon.